And this morning we're going to look at the biblical command to encourage one another. Uh, if you've been with us, you, we've been noticing these New Testament commands, uh, these one another's, that is the biblical commands regarding how we are to treat one another as God's community of faith. And so we've been in the midst of a series of messages discussing these commands, and they've been commands such as love one another, bear with one another, and accept one another. And encouragement, we find, is a theme that runs all throughout the first letter to the Thessalonians. And if you were to read through that book, you would find the word uh, four times in five chapters. And all throughout, you would find that Paul is continually encouraging the Thessalonian church, which uh, I think is interesting and I think it's relevant to us because as you read about the church in Thessalonica, it was not a perfect church. Uh, we see in chapter 4, for example, that there were those in the church who struggled with uh, sexual impurity. And then if we read both First and Second Thessalonians, uh, we see that there were those in the church who really struggled with laziness. There were uh, believers there who were so busy waiting for Jesus to return that they didn't want to work. Instead, they wanted to scrounge off of the other people. So in fact, uh, the church was not perfect and it had issues. And I think that makes it all the more instructive and encouraging uh, for you and I as an imperfect church that we're a part of and as imperfect believers that we are. Um, but we see Paul encouraging the believers in Thessalonica and he commands them to encourage one another. And we'll notice as we look at this passage that biblical encouragement, um, it isn't just a nice thing that we do when we think about it, but it's something that's woven into the very fabric of how we as believers motivate each other as we love and serve Jesus. And so let's begin by reading about it, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and this is the Apostle Paul. He says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And so there's a lot in those 11 verses, but I really want to consider two simple questions in light of that passage this morning. First of all, what does it mean when the Bible says to encourage one another? And then later on, how do we do that? How do we actually do that? 
First of all, what does encouraging one another mean? And the first point is that it doesn't mean flattery. Flattery is excessive or insincere praise. Flattery is saying nice things to people in order to get something from them. Thomas Fuller said, As a wolf is like a dog, so is a flatterer like a friend. And so to a casual observer, flattery might look like encouragement, but they're not the same thing at all. And so you and I, we want to encourage other people without falling into the trap of praising people excessively in order to win their approval or to make them like us or to try to manipulate them to do things that we want them to do. And so uh, flattery is a, is a wolf, not a friend. So that's the first point. Encouraging one another doesn't mean flattering one another. Secondly, it doesn't mean motivational quotes. Visited a company several years ago, and I noticed that um, on their walls they had these motivational posters, and you've probably seen similar ones hanging in their conference room. You know, sayings like, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Or the difference between the impossible and the possible lies in man's determination. Just these motivational platitudes and signs. And I'm sure that you've seen these because there's a billion dollar market for motivational products. So there are a lot of people who are literally buying into the idea that these types of sayings or platitudes encourage success. Well, in response to all of these motivational products, and maybe you've seen these as well, but there was a company named Despair who started making demotivating products. And they did that with the promise that while these motivational products don't work, their demotivating products don't work even better. And so one of their posters, for example, had a beautiful picture of the sun setting over water on a rocky beach. And in bold letters it said, Motivation. If a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job, the kind robots will be doing soon. And you think, oh, how depressing, right? But funny, I think, very funny. But my point is that biblical encouragement, uh, it isn't spouting off motivational platitudes to one another. It's much deeper than that. It's much stronger. It's more honest. It's, it is honest. And then, so, so then it, that leads us to the question of what does the Bible mean when it says to encourage one another? Well, here in 1 Thessalonians, there are two Greek words used for encouragement. The first one means to call from alongside of. To call from alongside of. The second means to counsel from alongside of. And so notice that encouragement has this sense of coming alongside of. And so that's the third point. It means coming alongside of. It means coming close to someone's life, their struggles, their story. And so encouragement isn't distant. It's close. You don't lob encouragement. I mean, you can try, and I, I try, but, but it really comes from knowing someone and coming alongside them. It's, it's that voice that says... I relate. I understand. I've been there too. One biblical picture for 
the Christian life shows it as a race. We see that in several places of Scripture. It's a race that we run to finish. And so as we run this race that God has set before us, we run it together alongside of one another. And we're to call one another to encourage each other to run the race to the finish and to break the tape. And so as you think about that analogy or that picture, encouragement has different voices because what people will need to hear is different in different seasons of their life. For example, to those who are growing weary, we call them to keep going. Don't stop. Finish strong. To the one who stumbles, we gently seek to restore them. To the one who's going off on an unbiblical path or teaching or direction, we call them to the truth of God's Word. To the ones who's, who's hurting, we come alongside them with warm counsel and loving comfort. And so, biblical encouragement ultimately points us to God. So we're motivational posters point us to look within, to dig deep, to find inner qualities of perseverance, determination, and courage from within, biblical encouragement has a different focus. It comes alongside us to call us to look to God, to look to His promises, to trust in His faithfulness. Because ultimately, both our strength to keep going and our greatest encouragement comes from God. Amen? Amen. And that's good news. Listen to the amazing declaration of Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. This is Paul as well. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as you and I think about God, as we think about His perfection, as we think about His holiness or His sinlessness, we might find it hard to believe that God would have anything to offer to us except criticism or discouragement. But I want you to know that that is not so. Because the Bible tells us that God is the paraclesis, which means the God of encouragement. And so when Jesus promised that he would send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples, the word he used was paraclete, which means one who calls alongside, one who comes alongside, excuse me, an encourager. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside to encourage and comfort, but the word Jesus uses here for another was allos, another of the same kind. So in other words, the Holy Spirit would be another comforter of the same kind that Jesus is. Jesus is the comforter, the encourager, and the Holy Spirit is the comforter and the encourager. And God, the Father, is the God of encouragement. And just as an example, how often do you see in the Bible uh, God, after calling one of his servants to action, saying, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. See the God coming alongside of you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Parakaleo, calling from alongside of. 
And, and maybe this morning someone needs to hear just that from the Lord. You just need to hear him say, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Of course, he's called you to run the race. But maybe it's taken a turn in an unfamiliar territory. Or maybe the race has taken you into a hard season of your life. Or maybe you're just tired and weary of the race. And perhaps the Lord this morning just wants you to listen for His voice saying to you, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Do not give up. For I am with you. Maybe He won't give you any other assurance. But you know what? That's enough. The greatest encouragement that you and I can have is to know that whatever He's called us to walk through, He walks through it with us, alongside of us. The God of encouragement wants to use each one of us as vessels of encouragement to one another, to call to each other, to help strengthen one another, to keep running, to keep going, to keep believing, to keep depending on Christ, to finish the course or the race that God has given us. So, how do we do that? How do we encourage one another? Years ago, there was a Royal Bank of Scotland commercial, and maybe you saw it. There was a team of bankers hiking in the mountains when one of them steps into quicksand. And then the hikers stand around discussing what should be done and how they should do it. And meanwhile, in the background, the hiker is sinking deeper and deeper into the quicksand. And and in the meantime, they continue to discuss what they should do. And so just as the man is about to go under, one banker breaks from the crowd and he throws out a line to save him. And the commercial leaves us with this message, and that is, Less talk, make it happen. Less talk, make it happen. So how do we make encouragement happen? What line do we throw? What do we say? How can we make it happen? Well, let me point you to four ways of encouraging that we can learn from the Apostle Paul. And first of all, all of our encouragement is built on one great truth, and that is that Christ died for us. Look with me again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11. through 11. Paul says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage each other. And so all of our encouragement is built on the gospel, on on this truth that through faith in Christ, because He died for our sins, our destiny is not God's wrath. Our destiny is salvation. So how do we encourage one another? Well, first of all, we remember that Christ died for us. That Christ died for you. Our encouragement can never be separated from the gospel of Jesus Christ because if it weren't for the gospel, our lives would be nothing but a big despair poster, if you think about it. If eternal wrath is what awaited us, Any encouragement would be meaningless. Paul says, therefore, why? Because God has not destined us for wrath, but salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we might live with Him forever. So there's no greater encouragement possible. 
Encouragement is built on the gospel that Christ died for us. And so we encourage one another by remembering that Christ died for us. And secondly, we identify God's work in others' lives. Listen to how Paul takes time to identify the activity of God in the church of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. He says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you sim- not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now remember, this is not a perfect church. We can't take Thessalonica and say, wow, they were fabulous. Wish we could be like that. No, they had problems. They have issues. But again and again, Paul identifies God's work in their lives. Brothers, loved by God, he's chosen you. The gospel came to you in word and power. You welcomed the word, even though you were suffering with much joy from the Spirit, and you became a model. Others are looking at you, church, and learning. And so, very genuine encouragement here. Not flattery. Um, Encouragement must always be genuine. But we excel in looking and pointing out to others where God is at work in their lives. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, God is always at work in your life. We don't always see it clearly. Sometimes we're blinded by it. Uh, Henry Blackaby writes, It's wrong for a Christian to ask, Why isn't God at work in my life? Because he says, God is always at work. And so the question should be, Why don't I see where God is at work in my life? And so... We acknowledge to each other that we, at times, don't see Him, that we become discouraged. And when that happens, uh, I know I have a hard time seeing God in my own life, and, and that discouragement can cover the eyes of my heart, and I can start feeling like, well, God's at work, but just not in my life. I don't see Him at work. Now, that blindness is often a form of sinful unbelief on my part, so I don't want to excuse that. But I want to point out that when someone comes alongside me and strengthens me and helps me regain my awareness of God and my faith and what God is doing, it greatly encourages me. And that's what we do for each other. We need one another because we don't see God at work. And so we come alongside each other and we point that out. I see God in your life. I see God at work. Be encouraged by that. We help each other see God better. So how do we encourage one another? Well, we remember Christ died for us. We identify God's work in one another's lives. And then thirdly, we encourage others to obey God. Could do a whole message on this point, but I just don't want to miss the fact that one of the things that we must come alongside of and call one another to is obedience to God. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, 
encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So if you have been saved, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've been called, if you're a children of God, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy. And so one of the voices that we need in our lives is a voice that will encourage us to obey God. See, God calls us to make progress in our faith, in our sanctification, which is a big word for to live in increasing holiness or to grow in our obedience. Oswald Chambers writes, one step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. And I would add that one step of obedience also adds much more joy than years of excuses. Now, we're not saved by obedience. We're saved by faith in Christ. But true faith will lead us to a growing obedience. And so if that's not happening in your life, your Christian walk is going to be weak and joyless. But what does an encouraging voice like that sound like? How do we encourage one another to walk in a manner worthy? Well, Paul, in that passage I just read, says, like a father, he encouraged them. And if you know the Apostle Paul, if you've read his writings, you realize he is not shy about calling Christians to obey God. And in Thessalonians, uh, those who are idle, he warns, get busy. And when he writes his second letter to the uh, Thessalonians, there are still those who haven't obeyed. And so he tells the church, if they don't work, they don't eat. Because they weren't working, they had no incomes, which simply meant the working believers were feeding the freeloaders. And so Paul comes along and he tells the church, don't feed them. Let them go hungry enough to obey and work, those who were able, that is. And so you see, God calls us to obey his commands and to know that our happiness and our peace in this life is connected to our obedience to God. And so... Our encouragement to one another needs to include a call to obey God and his commands. But what I want you to focus on or look at is how Paul does that. Because we can do that in a very harsh way. But Paul does not do that. It's it's encouraging. It magnifies the grace of God, which is already at work in their lives. And and so let's quickly just look at a couple of examples, three examples. 1 Thessalonians 4.1. He says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, he says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Last one, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And so you see, he calls them to grow in obedience, but he's also encouraging them with the grace of God that's already at work in them. Finally, there's one more aspect in Thessalonians that I want to point out in terms of encouragement. And this, by the way, this is not an exhaustive list. I've just... Just highlighting what we see in Thessalonians here. But but I want you to notice 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. It says, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So perhaps we should be encouraging each other with the return of Christ more than we do. The believers in Paul's day, they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And so I think it would encourage us to think about that in our own lifetime, to to talk about it more, to encourage one another with these words, because Jesus is coming back. And the promise we're given is that we're going to be with him forever. And that encourages you and I to keep going, to hope in times of trial, to run the race. It also encourages us to be ready, to watch our lives, to not give ourselves to the world or to sin, which is going to be destroyed, but to Christ who is coming back for us. The word says we'll be caught up to be with him, or if we die before he comes, we'll be raised up from the dead to meet him in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. And so our encouragement comes when we remind one another of Christ's return. We remind one another of Christ's return. Aren't you glad that your hope is not in what you see and what is passing away, but that you have an eternal hope, a glory that's greater than anything imaginable? And we encourage each other with that. In closing, I want to say that I believe that this is a very encouraging body to worship in. Um, And so I don't want you to hear this message as, you need to start doing this. But instead, as Paul is stating to the church in Thessalonica, to keep doing this more and more, that the atmosphere of living life reformed would be an atmosphere of encouragement as we imitate our God, who is the God of encouragement.